Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Welcome to the More Perfect Union, the podcast that offers real debate without the hate. I'm Kevin Kelton. I'm a moderate Democrat, and I live in Los Angeles. And as always, I'm joined by... I'm Rebecca Kushmeider, a progressive feminist about 30 miles from Baltimore in Kensington, Maryland. Oh, and we'll be talking about that. I'm DJ McGuire, a conservative feminist from Suffolk, Virginia, which is a few hundred miles away from Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> oh, and I'm Greg Matuzek, a common-sense liberal who i'm really far from baltimore but i guess i like the orioles go orioles from cincinnati (laughs) ohio and don't forget to subscribe to us on itunes and apple podcasts and please follow us on twitter at hashtag npu podcast and on instagram at npu fan club so we will talk about uh trump's attack on baltimore in a in a few minutes uh but we wanted to start since it's coming up tomorrow the Democratic debates. There's going to be two more debates, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. And uh, the polls are still showing that Biden is is leading. In fact, he seems to have re- regenerated himself like like the Terminator or something. <laughs> but, but Kamala Harris's bump seems to have dissipated in some of the polls that I've seen, including the Quinnipiac poll that came out today. And Biden seems to have gotten back into the 30s of the or 35 percent yes uh and is and is lapping he's doubling or sometimes tripling his closest rivals guys uh is does this mean that the guy has a little bit of teflon or does it mean that americans have very bad memory Um, column a and column b a little a little both i the parsing of it i've seen the analysis i think nate silver was talking about it is that um this is taking into account electability and people still think Biden has the best shot at actually winning the presidency. So they're, they're moving to Biden because they're taking electability into consideration in their answers. You know, they might change their tunes a little bit after the debates because somebody might show up with a lot of sizzle that will make them seem like a more appealing entree, which is possibly the worst analogy I have ever used on this program. I apologize. <laughs> Wait, hang on. How, how, how do we end up eating the presidential candidates? Yeah, no, don't, thought, oh, don't mm. eat the candidates. That's, yeah, I, I, I thought the rich were the ones for right. eating in the Democratic Party. I'm very confused. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, but, but if but if somebody shows up with a real gangbusters debate performance, it'll probably move the needle a little bit. But you know, this this Biden these Biden numbers might be the default. Like like Trump can't get over forty five. Um, Biden can't get below what is it thirty three. It might be, and you know, I'm uh, as you guys well know because we're well, most of us I think are in open fire the the Facebook debate group. I'm often posting the latest polls, and this, you know, these days there's one every day or every other day, and they're all consistently showing Biden with a very handy lead. 
And people get really angry at me and they keep saying polls mean nothing and polls this far out, you know, are not determinative and the polls are always wrong. And a lot of that is true in that there have been situations like 2008 and um, I, I guess we could go back to also 2004 where the person who was ahead at this point in time didn't get the nomination. But it is data. And I'm surprised when people dismiss it so easily because everything else that people are talking about now is just feelings and conjecture. A lot of people feel that Kamala Harris would be the stronger candidate because we need a female and it would be great to have someone who's a minority representative. And so they think she's the perfect candidate. But that's just speculation and feelings. There's a lot of people that think Pete Buttigieg would be the best nominee because he's young. He speaks to the millennials. He's uh, he's very well-spoken and, and very bright. But again, that's just based on feelings. And when I come on here or go on Facebook and say, yes, but Biden is kicking everyone's ass in the polls, including in the key states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, there was a couple of others that I think came out this week where he's beating Trump, and he's beating Trump nationally. And then people go nuts, and I say, yes, but that's data. Now, it may turn out to be wrong because data is not necessarily predictive, but it's better than just feelings. Well, no? and also, why take polling results personally? You'd be like, if people act as if polls are somehow, you well, know, get, like they take it personally because their guy or gal is. Yeah, but yeah, it's, but <laughs> this is, I don't know. It, it, it's it's like I don't know what it's like. People really they get very upset. They're like, oh, no, this poll's got to be wrong because I like so and so. Well, no, you know what? I I I like Ohio State, but I recognize that sometimes they lose games. You know, shit happens. Well said. Yeah, shit happens. That's the kind of eloquence I bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> the philosophy. But it's the way you say it. It's the way you say it. So uh, speaking of Kamala Harris, she introduced today or presented her new Medicare for All plan. That's really not Medicare for All in the Bernie Sanders mode or the Elizabeth Warren mode. Uh, it's sort of a hybrid of that and what Joe Biden is suggesting, which is a public option. But the difference is that she does get to single payer in about 10 years under her plan, but it has a private insurance component in it, which she is likening to Medicare Advantage. Uh, anybody want to opine on, on whether her plan is good, bad, or makes no sense? I mean, it's it, it's not unlike what the ACA was hoping to be when it was originally conceived with a with a robust public option that people could buy into that would operate much like Medicare Advantage, which brings back to the um, the idea that DJ broached last week of uh, private contractors administering these plans, and so it becomes a public private partnership in a sense. And it's it, it, it's fine. It's it's another perfectly good option that isn't a bad thing and actually would be fairly appealing because it gives people choice. Um, which is what everybody claims to most want in their health insurance, to be able to choose it themselves. I agree. And DJ, uh, I'm going to throw to Greg next, but I do want to say kudos for being prescient because you spoke about the privatization of Medicare last week, and this week it became mainstream. So uh, kudos to you. But yeah. before I go to you to comment on being prescient, I want to give Greg a shot. Greg? No, I think it's I think it's a fine plan. I think her biggest problem is she's a little late to the game. I'm sort of of two minds on this. From a policy perspective, it is interesting because it it says 
it sort of deviates a bit from from Sanders' government monopoly system in that it allows everyone to to take the Medicare Advantage route, which could shift more towards the multi-payer systems of continental Europe. So it is interesting from a policy perspective. From a political perspective, it, see, it, it, it screams, I can be all things to all Democrats. And just another example that Kamala Harris is really the, the Democrats 2020 version of Marco Rubio. Because Marco Rubio tried the same thing in 2016. He tried to be all things to all Republicans. And he ended up twisting himself in knots at a, at a Republican debate in New Hampshire, right before the New Hampshire primary, uh, and completely blew up his own campaign. I don't know whether Kamala Harris will do something similar. It's way too early to figure that out. But this is something that could be more damaging to her from a political perspective than it is from a policy perspective, because from a policy perspective, it's actually quite interesting. Well, let me, let me opine on her plan. There's a lot about it that I like. I actually was very excited when I started to read some articles about it this morning because there's components of it that I've been in favor of for a long time. One is a much longer window getting to single payer than the, the four-year window that Bernie's plan uses. I like the longer window. Uh, I like using Medicare buy-in as an interim step. I've been a fan and an, uh, a proponent of Medicare buy-in as you guys well know, for a long time. The problem that I still have with her plan is she keeps talking about Medicare Advantage. Now, I'm not on Medicare yet, and I don't fully understand Medicare versus Medicare Advantage, but I've had several friends try to explain it to me today. And as I understand it, Medicare Advantage covers things that traditional Medicare does not. But what Senator Harris is proposing is getting to a 10-year Medicare plan that covers dental, covers vision, covers prescriptions, and has all of the coverages in the current ACA. So what would this private aspect be? What would her Medicare Advantage plan be? And the best I can figure out, DJ, is that what she really means is she wants to contract out running Medicare to private insurers. But you know what? This is what's going to happen. And I've been telling people this on Facebook. They're going to offer more money to the doctors than Medicare does. More doctors will sign up for Medicare Advantage. And so you will have a two-tier system where people in the traditional Medicare plan are getting second-tier and third-tier doctors. And only people who are paying the Medicare Advantage premiums will get the best doctors. That's my take on it. It's entirely possible. I mean, but that has been the flaw in most of our insurance schemes for decades oh, yes. now that, that yes. there have been tiered systems and, and insurers only participate in certain plans and the plans under reimburse. And, you know, we, right. we haven't addressed but, but, that problem but, yet. But why, why would we take the problems of the current plan and just reform and just adapt, adapt them into a new plan? Uh, because that's a level of industry reform that becomes interference in how doctors actually do business, and uh, and there would be revolt in the streets at that point. We, you know, the, the the reforms that we have imposed upon health insurance have been palatable because they reformed practices that were abusive. To start telling doctors what quotas of, of plans they need to accept and, and you know, what services they need to offer at what prices, that becomes 
a little more dystopian feeling and uh and, and i don't know that we have the appetite for that oh yes i yes because because we're we're we are going to all recoil at the great white coat doctor march that will go down the streets of, <laughs> of washington dc um uh, but I'm, I'm actually gonna uh, i'm gonna tack differently and and say is this is it actually a problem because the folk the folks on continental europe who have multiplayer systems they do pay more their countries as a whole spend more on health care than say the single payer driven systems of britain and canada but their population in various survey data repeatedly show that they are happier with their systems than the folks in single payer countries like britain and canada so we just it may be a situation where at some point we have to acknowledge you know what good health care decent health care actually costs money and we have to ask ourselves are we prepared to actually spend the money whether it's via direct payments or taxpayer subsidies however you want to do it are we actually prepared to pay the money needed to have a successful multi-payer system or are we going to pretend that we can do it on the cheap like single-payer systems do in great britain and canada and pretend that we have great health care when in fact it actually stinks. There's a great line from the, um, the movie where Benedict Cumberbatch plays Dominic Cummings. And he, t- and they talk about one of the things is that, that, that everybody loves national health service, even though it sucks. It's again a question we're going to have to ask ourselves. Do we want a multi-payer system that is more expensive or do we want a single payer system that we pretend is better than it really is? That's up to the electorate to sort out. Coming from the, what was it? 50 or 60 million Americans who didn't have access to health insurance at all, something is better than nothing. So when we're when we're at the point where we're quibbling over how good something is and nothing is off the table, that makes me kind of happy because I love the idea of everybody having access to health insurance or health care. Does it have to be great? That's a point for debate. Yeah, I agree. And I think if Democrats could just all get together and say, you know, Some form of expanding Medicare or a public option, whatever you want to call it, is in the cards if we can control, if we can take control of the White House and of the Senate. But right now, nobody should be picking a presidential candidate because of their health care plan, because their health care plan is not going to be the one that gets voted on in the House and the Senate. Here, here. So um, let's see. Uh, Elizabeth Warren this week relaunched her protectionism ideas. Yeah, she has a new plan out that I, I saw the title of it, and I'm like, oh, it's the DJ's head is going to explode plan. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's actually a relaunch of her old plan. She she launched this. Uh, she launched this earlier in the campaign. Uh, the the Peterson Institute for International Economics looked at it and beat the hell out of it. And so she decided, well, the best thing to do is to double down and, and ring the cowbell a little more. Um, you know, and, and there, there are some things that are okay. I mean, if, if, if she's really serious about demanding that countries that enter into trade agreements allow for, allow for freedom of union organization, I'm okay with that. That's actually a good thing. If she's going to complain about countries manipulating their currency while insisting that the Fed manipulate our currency, then she's going to come across like come across like a hypocritical moron that will lose the respect of every other country on earth and i fear that she doesn't recognize that i don't want to beat her up too badly 
because she's establishing herself as the alternative to Joe Biden. And so, you know, I may end up voting for her next November. So wow. I want to be careful about this here. Wow. Well, I mean, if if she's the nominee, she gets my vote. That That's kind yeah, of the way it true. is. Right. You know, right. she's not Tulsi Gabbard. So there's that. Um, this is the <laughs> kindest thing you've ever said about Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> that is. But the fact. She's not Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> yeah, she's not Tulsi Gabbard. But, but the fact of the matter is her, her trade policy was bad. She chose to relaunch it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's still bad. Okay. Enough. Well, speaking speaking of bad, so Trump this week decided to attack Elijah Cummings and Baltimore for reasons that I can't understand, and then doubled down by pulling Al Sharpton into the mix. Oh, I can understand this. This is real easy to understand. Um, Elijah Cummings chairs the House Committee on Government Oversight, and he just got permission to subpoena all the emails and texts that White House staffers have been spent sending off of their personal accounts that pertain to White House business. That includes Mick Mulvaney. That includes Jared Kushner. That includes Ivanka Trump. So Trump is furious at him. And as he does when he's furious at a non-white person, he started uh, making fun of where they live, which in Elijah Cummings' case is Baltimore. And he kept saying, you shouldn't be doing oversight. What you should be looking at is your own district and proceeded to say things about Baltimore, a city I do not believe he has ever been to. So that goes on and on. And, uh, you know, just... <laughs> This is this is so patently abnormal. I don't know if you guys remember Obama's Twitter account where he would say, I was with representative so-and-so and we went to visit a school in such and such city. And boy, everyone there was awesome. And that's the normal way presidents talk about cities in America. So just on its face, this is bizarre and wrong. And it's racist. And, you know, people have done analysis of the language he uses when he talks about heavily minority districts where he uses terms like infestation and vermin and things like that. And ostensibly, he's talking about actual animals. But come on, the dog whistles pretty damn loud. And, uh, you know, now Al Sharpton's defending Baltimore and uh, Victor Blackwell gave an emotional response on CNN about Baltimore. But what I'm here to say is, Baltimore is what it's always been. We don't need to be defending Baltimore because the only one who's done anything wrong in this situation is Donald Trump with his stupid ass tweets. And then on in the background, my governor, Larry Hogan, who's coming up with some mealy mouth, stupid response to it all like, hey, we shouldn't be fighting. That doesn't help anything, which tells me he won't fight for Maryland. So I won't miss you when you're gone, Larry. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. My take on this is what I can't understand is a president who last week was talking about people hating America then comes out this week and calls one of the major American cities a disgusting rodent infested, whatever he called it. It's like, how can you love America and call American cities that? I just don't understand it. He should go back to where he – no, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Greg, Greg, tell him to go back to Russia. Do it. Do it. He should go back to Fifth Avenue. (laughs) holiday tips and fun facts from paul kristen and dexter at total wine and more did you know there are over ten thousand wine grape varieties worldwide here's to thousands of gift possibilities My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. 
pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers. So, uh, Robert Mueller testified last week. Um, it seems so long ago, and we My knew it would. My God, that was only Wednesday. <laughs> we predicted that. Yeah, wasn't that our major prediction that we were going to get on yes. get on this show this week and be like, but that was only five days ago. <laughs> yep. Right. So, you know, at this point, I think it's pretty obvious that it was a dud, even though, you know, a, a handful of Democratic congressmen have gotten on the impeachment hearing train, but we're still only talking about 100 to 106 out of a caucus of, I think, 240. Uh, no, that, it's so. not, it, it's, it, no, no, it's, it's a little more serious than that. The House Committee on the Judiciary has opened an investigation into whether articles should be fire, filed. Yeah, it, this, this isn't just like, a whip count. This is, this is the actual first step of impeachment. So you think that there might be yet impeachment hearings or impeachment-like hearings? I hope you're right. I mean, well, I I think that they feel that they can make a solid case on obstruction. The Mueller hearing may have actually been a pretense for something they were intending to do anyway. That's what it seemed like to me because it happened so quickly on the tail of it. So I'm thinking that Nadler has wanted to open this inquiry into um, whether or not impeachment um, articles of impeachment should be written. And he used Mueller's testimony as a springboard for that. So we are in, you know, step 1A of impeachment right now. It's th- This wasn't a minor thing to have Jerry Nadler co- go in front of a microphone and say that. Uh, honestly, I think the the real news of Mueller's testimony was something that no one is, very few people have really talked about, which is that the FBI is still, in from a counterintelligence perspective, is still investigating members of the Trump administration for potentially being compromised by Russian intelligence. I mean, that frankly, I think that's the biggest story of the whole damn day. And because it, it tells us that this really is not over, the da- well, we all knew the danger wasn't over, but it tells us that law enforcement has not actually dropped the whole initial point of this, which was trying to figure out who close to Trump, if not Trump himself, is too close to the Russians for comfort. That has never, ever really gone away in the eyes of law enforcement. I honestly think that's the biggest story of the week. It definitely is the biggest story no one is talking about this week. And I, okay. You know, I missed the, the Intelligence Committee portion of the hearings. I was seeing Toy Story 4, which was quite informative and very charming, but uh, did not talk about Russia in the slightest. So <laughs> that, that was what I was really interested in hearing was what they had to say about the intrusion into election systems, how much further that's gotten since 2016, what the upcoming propaganda efforts are going to look like, what we should be on the lookout for, and... Yes. Is anyone compromised? Is anyone, you know, hiding a trove of blackmail material that Vladimir Putin and GRU are ready to release if they step wrong? And it's heartening to hear that the FBI is still investigating that in spite of everything. Well, I, I was pretty disappointed in the in the Mueller hearing, and I, was, I left it as I expected I would, both angry and disappointed at Robert Mueller personally. And I'm wondering, am I the only one here who feels that he could have said more, he could have done more, 
and he shirked a, a civic responsibility, if not a, a legal one. Well, he told no. us he wasn't going to say more than he was going to say. We right. Knew. Yeah, but the way he did it really pissed me off, frankly. You know what? He tried, you know, when, when the Democrats asked him questions, he was a little bit more forthcoming. I think he tried to give him a little more leeway and he didn't give his eyes. You can see the answers in the report, but he said from the beginning, I'm not helping either side. I did my job. And we, we knew that we said this last okay, week, but let me, but let me, I'm going to mix it up here a little bit. I feel that he misinterprets what his role is, that Robert Mueller feels like he gets to come in, he gets to investigate, he turns in a report, and then like Shane, he just rides off into the sunset. Good movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're over 70 years old. I, <laughs> I feel that he could have been a little bit more forthcoming in his answers. Too much of the, I refer you to the report, um, I'm not sure I would phrase it the way you phrased it, I see where you're coming from, but I don't necessarily subscribe to that. There was too much of that, and I think that he owed it to America and to history to in some way state out loud what his findings were, not just say, yes, no, correct, I understand what you're so, asking. So you wanted him to be James Comey instead? Yes. Yes, for, I did. For good, but we just saw what happened. Oh, you, oh no, you're talking about James Comey in 2015? No. Oh, oh that's well, not what either I'm way. Either I'm talking way. about James Comey when he testified. Well, either way. The thing is, well, James Comey took it no, upon no, no, himself. No no no. no, 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 Greg, there's a, there's a big schism between what Comey did both in June and then in uh, October of 2015, 2016, excuse me. Yeah. There's a big difference between that and Robert Mueller actually answering questions instead of saying, I refer you to the report. You know what? He has his, he has his principles. He has his moral code, and I can't fault the guy for sticking to the moral code. But what's the morality of that? Because he had his, his, his definition and his job set forth, and this is what you're supposed to do. And he did it. I mean, well, but his but his job is also to answer questions when he's called to testify in front of Congress. He wouldn't have accepted those answers from a witness that was testifying to the special counsel's office. He wouldn't have had them. He wouldn't have allowed somebody to say, you know, I don't really want to answer that question. And the fact of the matter is, the Mueller's answers were stated in the report itself. If anything, it is the de- it is it is the committees themselves, in particular the House Judiciary Committee, because I think the the Intelligence Committee. Uh, seem to do a better job with this. It is the House Judiciary Committee that spent focused more time on grand, on the individual members grandstanding than actually getting information out. Did any single Democrat actually ask a question about the polling data that Manafort gave, uh, Kilimnik about Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Did any Democrat actually t- ask Robert Mueller to describe how various witnesses impeded the investigation, lied during the investigation, and withheld information during the investigation? Yeah, they did. D- okay. Th- th- if they did, then that's good on them. 
And it's just a matter of the fact that 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 stuff did not get reported because our because our our media are a bunch of idiots, and that's okay. <laughs> um, I've called our media a bunch of idiots for thirty years. Wait, are we the change. media? <laughs> hey, yeah, we're we're the media. We're, we're 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 the good media. We're not the idiot media. Um, so I I am I am not prepared to fault Mueller for the fact that in his mind he presented the evidence to the American people. And he is continue, continuously perplexed at the fact that they don't actually read the damn thing. If the Democrats wanted more attention to that, then they frank, what they frankly should have done, and quite a few of them did, was just read the report verbatim, the paragraphs they wanted people to hear, and say, Mr. Mueller, is this your interpretation of what happened? He says yes, and that's all they needed, because it basically validated what's in the report. In terms of this kind of venue which was a show trial. Everything was supposed to be quick and snappy and soundbitey. Mueller was a terrible witness. He was too deliberative. He paused to compile his answer before he spoke. And by the time he got around to speaking, the member of Congress who was worried about running out of their five minutes was on to the next question. He needs to visit an audiologist because clearly his hearing is faulty because he's he's a, a combat veteran who's over 70 years old. He needs a hearing aid. So he was, he was not good television. Now, was the information he was providing to them, was he, was he confirming things in the report that were important? Yeah. Was he breaking some news? Not a whole lot, but there wasn't a lot of news left to break. He presented 488 pages of news, however many months ago he handed over the report. If you are trying, if you are, if you are operating in what you think is a reality show format, you have to recognize that a bureaucrat is not going to help you. You have to assume that you need to be the one who gets the information out of him or gets the information out there because a bureaucrat is not going to do that. Robert Mueller is the Republican version of Sir Humphrey. And maybe if these congressmen had spent more time doing things like I did, like binge on Yes Minister back in 2013, they would have recognized that, oh, Robert Mueller is a bureaucrat. We have to, we, we can't, we can't assume that he's going to be like a witness who will just drop the bomb like, like the Perry Mason witnesses did. He's not that kind of guy. They should have known their witness and they should have reacted to it and they should have crafted their questions based on it. They chose not to do that because they wanted their five to 15 minutes of fame. That's on them. That's not on him. Okay. So Trump, uh, he did have a big win this week in the, in the Supreme Court. Uh, he got the Supreme Court to to toss back to the appeals court or throw out a lawsuit that was trying to stop him from using Pentagon funds to build the wall. And apparently by a 5-4 partisan line division, the Supreme Court ruled that the people that brought the lawsuit did not have standing. Therefore, they are ignoring the entire lawsuit. Well, no, what they what they have said is that Trump can start moving forward with financing the wall and uh, and, and doing the contracting process to get the thing built while litigation is ongoing. They didn't throw it out. They um, overturned a stay on him moving forward on the wall. Correct. So the litigation is still going yes. forward. But what they said about standing is interesting to me because I think that telegraphs to um, future litigants a different tack they can take and, and that they need to look for um, different plaintiffs in future lawsuits. I, I think that the fight on the wall is not not over. And the idea of um, 
emergency funding being misused this way is is not done either. And the Supreme Court would like us to find better legal grounds on which to fight. Yeah, this 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 is far, far from over. And there's going to be lots of lawsuits. Um I'm I'm probably going to send my 10-year-old to law school and she will probably be involved in this somehow when she finishes it in law school in the year 2037. So she'll be fighting the wall. I'm I'm kind of excited about it. She'll make lots of money, pay off those college loans. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't understand is, okay, so maybe these two parties, the ACLU and I forget who the other party was, don't have standing. Why hasn't Congress brought this lawsuit? They clearly have standing. Why haven't the the states of California and New Mexico that have Democratic governors brought this lawsuit? Because the the wall would be built in their states. They have standing. Why is everybody just sitting back and going, oh, well, the ACLU didn't have standing. I guess we can't do anything. Well, they may have been waiting to see what the what – the- outcome of this case was before they started the next series of cases, because why go into expensive long-term litigation if you don't have to? Because Congress has standing. <laughs> well, Congress has standing, but Congress may not have lawyers. You're talking about the state of California. Do you really want them to be pouring all those resources into this if somebody else's yes. lawsuit has a chance of being successful first? As, as, as I understand it, the House may actually be suing in a separate lawsuit. So let let's not. It, it it may have been that that these yeah, but in the meantime, the he's building the, the freaking first. wall. No, no. But my point is, these plaintiffs got to the Supreme Court first. If the House has already filed a lawsuit, that just hasn't gotten to the court in time. That just hasn't gotten to the Supremes yet. I may will be wrong here, but I, I if for some reason, I remember reading somewhere that the House of Representatives has actually filed suit. It just hasn't gotten to the Supreme Court yet. Well, I, I mean, where's the appeals court that's staying the, the building of the wall there? I, I just don't understand this. Well, that's because, <laughs> that's because we didn't go to law school. We're, we're missing vital elements of the whole legal process because none of us are lawyers. I'm certain just, that's, that's it. True. Just give, <laughs> give my daughter a couple of years. Greg, Greg's yeah. daughter, 30, 30, uh, yeah. 2037. I mean, all of us can play lawyers on TV, but if you actually put us in court, we'd be pretty lost. <laughs> oh, gosh. It would be ugly. be so ugly. So, um, Francisco Galicia, that poor kid, was detained for what three weeks? And it was twenty-three days. In, would he still be in detention or possibly deported if it wasn't for the solid news journalistic reporting of the Dallas Morning News? Yes, yes, he I'm would. convinced that that's. I'm mm-hmm. convinced, and Rebecca clearly agrees with me. So I'll let her do the talking because I've said enough already. <laughs> Well, before we do this, so she has standing. I, I, I want I want you guys to all apologize for just making fun of how bad the news is. Because here's an example of some really good news people. It was great. They were good. Yes. Kudos to yes. them. Yes, three three cheers for the Dallas Morning News. Now yeah. let yeah. Rebecca talk. Right. Yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead well, I mean, Rebecca. this whole story is so heartbreaking. Here's this kid. He's a, he's a teenager. He and his brother and several friends were driving to a soccer tryout to try and get a college scholarship or get a place on a college team. And they get pulled over at a Border Patrol checkpoint. And the kid is a U.S. citizen. His friends, who may or may not be U.S. citizens, just didn't have ID on them because they weren't driving. And his brother, who is not a U.S. citizen, couldn't prove his citizenship either. So they arrested all of them. And uh, there was there was confusion because of his mother's name on his birth certificate and uh, and a 
a visitor visa from Mexico that he had that was taken out when he was a child. And so they detained him saying that his citizenship was in doubt when it really shouldn't have been. And everything had an explanation. He had an attorney. And the saddest part is his brother, after a day or two, signed a uh, agreed to be deported back to Mexico where he was born because he just wanted the opportunity to call his mom and tell her what was happening. Yeah. And, and by the way, his attorney, uh, Galicia's attorney, also did a spectacular job. Oh, she was I believe she fantastic. might have been the one that brought the Dallas Morning News into it. Right. And that was, I mean, that was, she She tried every other channel to get through to CPB and ICE and, and get her client out. And she finally took it to the media. And it was absolutely the right thing to do at the right time. And, you know, clearly it, it, they didn't want to raise this as an issue too soon, but when it was the only way, it was the only way. And it was really a hero move to take it to the media. It was, you know, heroic of the media to take up the story, even though it is a little convoluted. There are some instances of falsifying papers, but in, you know, in the opposite way that you would usually think. And I, I'm, I'm so pleased for this outcome. I'm terrified at the idea that CPB has the authority to just not believe your paperwork. I, I hope, I hope, you know, I'm not a litigious person. I'm really not, even though my daughter will be a lawyer. Um, but I, I hope they just sue the piss out of these people. I hope the, this kid never has to work a day in his life. Um, and I still don't think it'll be enough. Um, I, well, I agree with you that he should sue. Unfortunately, if he, uh, if he's successful, we the taxpayers will pay for it. Totally cool with that. Rather than paying for another nuclear bomb. He lost 26 pounds in 23 days. I'm okay with paying that for that. Yeah, a, a, the, the government acted in our name in treating a fellow U.S. citizen so utterly cruelly. If they acted in our name, then they need to compensate the kid. The, the, they need to compensate this young man in our name. Uh, simply put, and I just, I just, I just slapped a, a, a Twitter thread up there for for us on 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 the MPU channel about how in the in for much of the 20th century, large scale deportation efforts actually chucked a bunch of U.S. citizens of Mexican descent out of the country because we just assumed, well, they don't look American enough, so they they can get they can GTFO. Uh, this is just really this on, on us, on a, this is just, this is just the same idea on a microcosm. You know, this kid had a birth certificate that he showed CPB that said that he was born in this country. And they basically looked at him and said, Oh, you, they effectively said, you look like a Mexican. So we don't believe you. That should yeah. be horrifying to anybody in this country, not it just is. folks who look like it Mexicans. Is. Yeah. And, you know, the, what also struck me is that this kid was prepared enough that he was actually carrying his birth certificate with him because he anticipated this. You know, if oh, it was yeah. me. Yeah, what well, white person thinks they need their birth certificate to carry along with them? Well, you, right. they said it was a yeah. wallet-sized birth certificate, and I actually have one of those for at least one of my children that I, I carry with me for – um like for airplanes and stuff like that, when I particularly when I had a different last name than my son did for about a year, so you know, yeah, yeah, this is the reality that people of color live. They carry the wallet sized version of their birth certificate. They carry the state ID that you can only get if you can also show a social security card. They carry all of that with them to try and avoid situations like this. This isn't our white person reality. 
and it's not fair. Well, you know, we've talked we've talked once again. This comes to that point in the show where we say, "Hey, this is we could use a little bit of diversity here." But you know, there's that moment where we talk about the talk that every adult gives their child, and for a lot of us, it was certainly minorities. Minority, and it's different guess. for minorities. For minorities, for the for for whites, it's that birds and bees talk. But for minorities, <laughs> that talk. But for minorities, it's, hey, this is what happens when the police pull you over. Because it's not going to be if, and it's when. Because I never got that talk from my father. I never got, hey, don't be a smartass, blah, blah, blah. Because he just assumed, you know, you're going to be fine. They're the police. You're, you're, you're a white kid in the suburbs. I, I got that talk. I'll put it this way. I got that talk from my dad. I guarantee that the talk I got from my dad was nothing like anything an adult of color had to give their son about interacting with the police. Right. Mine was much more, it was much more low key. It was much more informal. It was much more, hey, look, these, it was much more vague. It was just, you know, just be respectful and they'll be respectful to you and it's okay, you know, because, I'm Irish. You know, we, we, we've been considered white since 1892. So the fact of the matter is a lot of things that an African American or Mexican American has to worry about. I didn't have to worry about. My dad didn't have to worry about when he sat down and talked to me. Right. And it's, yeah. and it's something that, you know, we, I have no concept of. I have no concept of, you know, you know, I tell my kids if there's a, if there's a problem, if there's an emergency, if there's an issue, you run to the police, and I can't imagine that not- is the biggest white privilege thing in the world. I yes. know, of and, course, we, and, we we get to run to the police. Everybody else has to run have to from run the from, police, but not run. <laughs> yeah, right. They they have to walk. Right. Yeah, running is not. Good. You're right, Kevin. Yeah. They can't run. They have to walk from the police, which in itself is bad yeah. enough. <laughs> it, it's sort of the same. It's the same advice you give to somebody who might spot a bear in the woods. You say, "Don't run. <laughs> just just put your hands up and walk backwards very slowly." <laughs> right. Right. We want to thank everybody for listening. If you enjoy what we do here, please check out our website, mpupodcast.com. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moreperfectunionpodcast. So, Greg, uh, Debate Nachos, what are you putting in them this week? Uh, actually, I've got a show on Wednesday. Uh, I'm playing uh, in an 80s rock band. So wow. uh, I've got some uh, got some 30-year-old um, anchovies and... Uh, nachos that I'm going to put together So in honor of my 80s rock stuff That I'm playing this week 30 year old anchovies So you also shop at the 99 cent store like Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. 
pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!